Heavenly Father, we pray for your presence at this retreat. Lord, we know that we can only build the altar. Um, We need to trust you to bring the fire, to light the sacrifice. Father, we pray that you would send down your Holy Spirit to melt our frozen hearts so that they can be living flesh beating for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I'll be mentioned at the beginning, all across North America, um, actually the retreat in Philadelphia is happening this same weekend too, in Region 2. From Toronto to Detroit, New York, Texas, um, for the last two years and continuing into this year, the CSI youth leaders across North America uh, have decided we want six values to be the marks of our generation of the church. Uh, Six things to be your core values as the church, because you are the church. And those six values are worship, community, discipleship, evangelism, mission, and social justice. So last year, we focused on worship and community. Um, At this last family conference in Houston, we talked about discipleship. And this weekend, we're going to talk about evangelism. Today, I'm going to give you more of an overview about um, what evangelism is. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have like a mass Bible study. If you guys were here last year, you remember that's kind of what we did last year, too. It's going to be on Acts chapter 17, and we're going to see a case study of how Paul evangelized to the Greeks in Athens. And then tomorrow afternoon, I'll go more into, into a little bit more detail on practical stuff of how to evangelize in our culture. So it's a little bit more evangelism training, I guess. But today is just an overview. What is evangelism? When I say the word evangelism, notice the feelings that come up. What do you feel inside when I say evangelism? What do you feel inside? You might feel embarrassed, maybe. It's an old-fashioned word, right? When you hear evangelism, you think of people preaching on the street, right? Or passing out little tracts and little green Bibles that just have the Psalms and the New Testament, if you guys have ever gotten that. These are the people you try to avoid, right? When you're on your way to somewhere else. You might feel guilty. You know you're supposed to be doing evangelism, but you're not, so you feel guilty. You might feel confused. Uh, You know that evangelism is something we're supposed to be doing, but what exactly is it? How exactly am I supposed to do it? One of our problems is that we have these feelings around the word evangelism, but we don't we haven't thought too deeply about what the word actually means. Um, So let's start there. What is evangelism? I'm a word nerd, uh, as some of you guys might know. I like to study words and see where they come from and break them down, because once you break words down, you can get a better understanding of what they actually mean. Our English word evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, okay? So I I wish I had made a PowerPoint so you guys could see the word euangelion. I'm going to spell it for you guys because I'm an old fifth grade spelling bee champion. It's E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N, okay? So picture that word in your mind, E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N, euangelion, okay? What do you see in the center of that word? Any word that you see in the center of that word? Angel. Angel. Yes. What is the meaning of the word angel? It means herald or messenger. Okay? So euangelion, angel, means messenger. What does the prefix you mean? E-U. Does anyone know? 
There's a word euphoria, right? It means good feeling. You means good. So euangelion means good messenger or good message. That's the meaning of euangelion. So when we talk about evangelism, we're talking about bearing the good news, sharing the good news, spreading the good news. So, okay, you're thinking to yourself, all right, Brian, that's pretty basic. Thanks. Uh, Spreading the good news. Yeah, I already kind of knew that's what evangelism is. But stay with me here for a second because this is actually extremely important. Evangelism is about news, not opinion and not advice. It's good news, not a good opinion or a good advice. And that's really central, and I'm going to break that down for you guys. So first of all, what's the difference between news and an opinion? News is a public account of something that has actually happened in history. It's true for everyone, no matter what, every, what anyone else feels about it. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's just a fact about history. An opinion is a private feeling. It's a private truth. It might be true for me, but it's not true for, for you. My favorite color might be blue. Prejwal's favorite color might be red. It's true for me that my favorite color is blue, but it's not true for him. That's an opinion, right? It's not true for everyone. So it's private truth versus public truth. In Austin, over the last three years, I've worked a lot with college students at UT in Austin. And uh, by God's grace, they're doing a great job of evangelism, especially with Hindu and Muslim students. But when I first started interacting with them three years ago, they were kind of reluctant to evangelize. And part of the reason why is because they thought it was rude. They thought that evangelism is like imposing your opinion on someone else. Who here saw the movie Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker? Anyone? Raise your hands up. All right, my Dallas boys did. And Lennis, great. Who here saw Jumanji 2? All right, okay, scattering of people. I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. It's the best movie of 2019 to me. Abby loves Jumanji 2. He loves it. That's his movie. So if Ubby came to me and said, Jumanji 2 is better because Smolder is so awesome and Nick Jonas and Aquafina are in it and, and it's just the best movie. I'd be like, yeah, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. I like Star Wars better. But if Ubby, you know, Ubby gets kind of argumentative sometimes, right? So, so if he keeps arguing with me and if he keeps being like, no, Star Wars is not as good as Jumanji 2. I'd be like, Ubby, you're being kind of rude, man. Slow, slow your roll. Calm down. That might be true for you. That's just your opinion. But don't push your opinion on me. And that's the way I think a lot of us sometimes think about evangelism. Christianity is right for me. But what right do I have to try and push that on my Hindu friend or my atheist friend? Islam is right for them. Hinduism is right for them. Religions are like opinions. I do what works for me, you do what works for you. But Christianity is not an opinion. The good news is not an opinion, it's news. And it's either real news, true news, or it's fake news. It's either true or it's false. Just like either two plus two is four, or it's not. It doesn't depend on my opinion, it doesn't depend on how I feel about it. Either two plus two is four, or it's not. Either in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, or he didn't, right? It's a question of history. Did this news happen? Is it trustworthy or is it not? What's my point? Evangelism is not sharing an opinion like Ubi trying to convince me Jumanji 2 is better than Star Wars. It's a public account of something that has happened. 
So let me try and explain this another way. Everyone here knows about the Civil War in America, right? You guys studied that in school, the Civil War. It's a big war, guys. Uh, African Americans lived in slavery. And the North, which was basically free of slavery, is, was fighting against the South, which held black people in slavery. And President Abraham Lincoln sends out the Emancipation Proclamation. Every slave in the South is now free, right? He declares it. Now, let's suppose that we were slaves back in the South in 1862, 1863, whenever he did the proclamation. Um, and messengers come on horseback from the North set to the South sharing the good news. All you slaves are free. Leave your master. Take refuge in the North. At that point, the slaves would have a choice, right? Either they could trust the messengers and trust President Lincoln that they were now free and take refuge in the armies of the North, or they could refuse to believe it and continue to live in slavery. Either it's true or it's false. We can discuss whether it's true. We can discuss whether we should trust President Lincoln or not, but it's not a question of opinion, right? It's a question of fact. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the same way. All of creation, according to Christianity, all of creation lives in slavery to forces opposed to God, sin, death, and the devil. But because of God's great love for the world, he sent his son to take on the forces of darkness and defeat them on the cross. And now Jesus has sent out his church to announce to everyone the good news. Your slavery is over. And at this point, the world faces a choice. Did Jesus really defeat the powers of sin, death, and the devil on the cross? Did Jesus really rise again from the dead three days later? Did Jesus really ascend to heaven? Or is that all a lie? It's not a question of opinion. That, that's what I'm trying to get you guys to see, okay? It's not a question of opinion. It's a question of truth. Is this story true? Is this news real? Now, I just want to pause here for a second. For some of you, for some of you, the reason why you are not progressing in your walk with Christ, and you know you're not, is because you have not really investigated this question. Is this true? Is this news real? Do we really believe that a Jewish guy who lived 2,000 years ago in a desert, wandering around, basically homeless, is the Lord and master of the universe? With all the planets, stars, galaxies, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that he rose again from the dead? I'm not trying to be harsh. Uh, I'm speaking from my own life here, but I think there are a lot of people here in this room who have never really examined that question. And that's why you're stuck in your faith, because you've never looked into it. And I'm speaking from my own life here. I had this question when I was in college. Did this really happen? Or is this just some myth my parents pushed on me and that I grew up with? Was there a man named Jesus who lived his life totally for the sake of others and totally obedient to God, who died and rose again from the dead three days later? It sounds bizarre. It sounds unbelievable. And I was stuck. And I couldn't move forward in my faith until I had resolved that question. Everyone's story is different. For some of you, this question has never been an issue, and that's totally fine. You've just trusted that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he rose again from the dead, and that one day he, come, he will come again. 
And that's fine. I'm not really addressing you at this point if that's never been a problem for you. But for some of you, you have this doubt in the back of your mind and you've never actually faced it. And until you actually face it, you're going to stay stuck. This is not the time for me to walk you through the evidence or to show you why you should believe that this is true. We, we don't have the time for that now. But I, I want to say to you, you owe it to yourself to do the work to answer that question. Because especially in today's age, there are so many books out there. There are so many speakers, podcasts, videos that you can watch. So many people you can talk to to answer this question. Don't just stay stagnant. If you want references, come up to me afterward and I can give you a whole list of things to watch or to read to answer this question. And we can keep talking about it. Because the most important question you can ask in life, I really believe this, the most important question you can ask in life is, did this really happen? Because if it did happen, then everything about your life, everything that you care about, every way you see or understand your life, everything you want has to be different. If it's true. And if it's not true, if it didn't happen, then yeah, we can eat some food, have some pizza, play some games, go see the lake tomorrow, sing some songs, you know, have fun. But this is all a waste of time. If Jesus did not rise again from the dead, then this is a waste of time. So you need to answer the question, did he really do it or not? Did he rise from the dead? Again, I'm not trying to be harsh, but I do want you to wake up. And not sleepwalk through life, never having asked yourself the question. So first, the gospel is news, not an opinion. Second, the gospel is news, not advice. What's the difference between news and advice? This difference is one of the things that makes Christianity distinctive from the other religions. Other religions give you advice on how to live a good life. Um, But Christianity gives you news. It's an account of things that we claim have happened in history. Again, either those things happened or they did not happen. Now, for those of you who are in high school or in college or maybe even working now, because you go to school or work with people with a lot of different beliefs, you're friends with them, maybe you have a little crush on them, you feel a pressure to downplay the differences between the religions. You get what I'm saying? You feel because you want to get along. You want to be friends. You, want to, you don't want to acknowledge the differences between the religions. We live in a very diverse society where there is not a lot of consensus on what is good and what is bad, what is true and what is false. And that means talking about these kinds of things is very uncomfortable. It's very difficult. You, you get challenged a lot if you start talking about stuff like that. And we have to be sensitive to that. We, we definitely have to respect all people of all other religions. And that's why I'm glad Jiju Echen was up here talking about how the CSI church stood for Muslims in India when they're being discriminated against. Because we are Christians, we have to stand up for people of other religions. We can never discriminate against anyone because of their religion or their race or their caste or their creed. But it is actually deeply disrespectful to all religions to say that they are all basically the same. It means you're not paying attention because they're really not. There are some areas of overlap, but there are also a lot of areas of difference. And one of those differences is that the other religions are fundamentally about advice. They tell you things that you should do, while Christianity is fundamentally about news. So, for example, let me let me try and explain that more because I see some confused looks. For example, in Hinduism, if you live a good life. If you achieve enough karma, 
then you will be released from the cycles of reincarnation and then be united with the Godhead, the Brahman. That's what Hindus believe. You have to live a good life. You earn enough kind of like points, merit, and then you'll be released from the cycle of reincarnation. So for Hindus, they don't want to be reincarnated every single time. That's, that's almost kind of like a curse, the cycle of reincarnation. They want to be released from that and be reunited with the Godhead, which means kind of in a sense oblivion. Um, in Islam, if you obey the Sharia law, if you observe the five pillars of Islam, then God will accept you and you'll be admitted into paradise. That's the goal of a Muslim, is to observe the five pillars of Islam. These other religions give advice on the way to be accepted by God. The Buddha advises you on how you should live to achieve enlightenment. The Hindu guru advises you on how you should live to be released from your reincarnation. Muhammad advises you on how you should live to get to paradise when you end, when you die, sorry, when you end. But the Christian Bible gives us something completely different. Christianity gives us news. There once was a man who lived totally for the sake of others. There was a man who was obedient to God in every single thing, even to death on a cross. There was a man who is love itself, who died for giving his enemies on the cross. And you are accepted by God because of this man. This man died for you to make you holy. This man rose again from the dead so that now death has no hold for you, over you. This man freely gives his own spirit to you so that when you trust in him, you can share in his glory and rule. And either you believe that that is true, that that happened, or you don't believe it. It's not advice. It's a statement of fact that you either accept or reject. Do you guys see the difference? Maybe this still wasn't clear, so let me try and explain the difference between advice and news this way. One of the basic Christian beliefs is that no one can approach God because no one in their own strength can achieve holiness. Not really. Some people might be better in some areas than other people, but no one can be holy as God is holy. As creator of the universe, God is like the sun in our solar system. So imagine the sun, right? The sun is the source of life within our solar system with its heat and light and radiation. But the very power and goodness of the sun that generates life on planet Earth is also dangerous if you get too close to it, right? If you get too close to the sun, it will annihilate you. Not despite its goodness, but because of its goodness. And in the same way, the Christian Bible teaches that if you're impure, God's presence is actually dangerous to you. Not because God's presence is bad but because God's presence is so good. There are stories about this in the Old Testament, about the tabernacle and the temple and all the rest. Um, it's because his presence is good and we are sinful, right? See, the Bible is extremely sophisticated about evil in the world. This is a little bit of a digression, but hang with me because this explains how Christianity is about news and not advice. So just try and stay with me here. The Bible is very intelligent about the existence of evil in the world. The good Hindu says at the end of the day, all things are united. And so even our conception of good and bad, right and wrong, it's all an illusion, right? There isn't such a thing as evil in the ultimate sense. The good Muslim says at the end of the day, there is God's side and there is the side opposed to God. And all people must choose. Which side are you on? Are you on the side of Allah or are you on the side against Allah? Us or them. 
But Christianity says that, first, there is such a thing as real evil in the world. Babies die of cancer, right? Hurricanes hit cities. Nations war against nations. We disagree with Hindus on this point. Evil is not an illusion. There is real evil in the world. But second, we disagree with the Muslims. We cannot easily separate those who are good or on the side of God from those who are bad, against God. I can't point the finger at anyone and say, you're the evil one, because that same evil lives in me. Someone must rescue me from my sin. My salvation has to come from outside myself. Christianity says you can listen to all the good advice you want, and the other religions do have good advice. But on your own, no one can follow God's law. No one can meditate enough to reach enlightenment. Romans chapter 3 says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God in their own strength. Are you guys tracking with me here so far? No one can actually be holy enough to be in the presence of God. So what can we do? We can't do anything. The Christian story is the good news that because we couldn't do anything, God himself entered into history to live the life we should have lived, to take the curse of evil upon himself, and to break the power of death over creation. He set us free now. It's like Abraham Lincoln sending out that emancipation emancipation proclamation I was talking about. He set us free, not because we deserve it or because we earned it, but because he is a loving God. It's a free gift. It's grace. It's not advice on how to live. It's news. And now because of this news, Now you actually have the power to live differently, to actually obey God with love. So think about it this way. Someone can tell me all they want. Brian, you need to eat better. You need to work out. And I know I should should listen. It's great advice. I should eat better. I should work out. But if someone said, Brian, your wife is pregnant. And this is just an illustration. She's she's not pregnant. I know she's not here. She, She really is just sick. She's not pregnant. But... Imagine, just imagine, someone said to me, Brian, your wife is pregnant. What would I do? You better believe. I would start saying, oh my goodness, are we saving enough money? I need to get healthy. I need to be able to take care of this baby. I need to have enough energy to like actually watch this thing. I need to eat better and I need to work out more and I would actually do it. Do you understand the difference? One, you can tell me all the good advice you want about how I should eat better and work out. I'm not going to do it. But once there is news that transforms my life, I'll actually do it. And that's what Christianity is. God knows that the same thing is true of the human heart. People are right, because in some ways, the different religions, they do say similar things. If you look at them, respect your parents, take care of the poor, don't get too attached to worldly pleasure. There are similarities. But I firmly believe only Christianity, real Christianity, not the fake cultural Christianity, real Christianity, Only Christianity gives you the power to live in a different way. You can hear all the good advice on how you should live all you want, but you're never going to listen. Your heart is too corrupt. It's only when you see how much God loves you, when you know how secure your future is because of what he's done for you, even despite all your mistakes and all the ways you've hurt others and hurt yourself, that you will be transformed enough to live a totally different life. It's only when you know that you have a love that will never leave you, that you can love and serve those who hate you. Let me say that again. It's only when you know that you have a love that will never leave you, 
that you can love and serve those who hate you. It's only when you know you have an inheritance that can never be exhausted that you are willing to totally give your money away to serve the poor. It's only when you know that you have been forgiven a thousand times for making the same mistake over and over that you will be willing to forgive your brother or sister for hurting you. So Christianity is about news. It's not about opinion. It's not about advice. Now there's one final point I want to touch on before we split into our core groups. Um, Maybe you're convinced, yes, this is news that I need to share. And I understand better now the difference between news and opinion and news and advice. Thanks for that, Brian. But still, how do I do this? I've tried to share the good news with others before, and I've been questioned. I've received questions I can't answer, and I don't want to look foolish in front of people when I'm asked about why I believe what I believe in. Maybe some of you guys have had that experience, right? And there are a couple of responses I have for you to consider. We're going to talk more in depth about how practically to evangelize tomorrow. But here are just a few things I want you to keep in mind for tonight. First of all, remember that evangelism is not an individual sport, right? It's not an individual activity. It's the action of the whole community. The church is an evangelical community, an evangelical body. And just like a body has a head and a neck and fingers and toes, so the community has different people with different parts to play. It's not on you to answer every single question that your friends might have. That's my point. You can turn to the community to help you. You can be like, hey, I got this question that I don't know how to answer. Can someone come and help me? If there are questions you don't know the answer to, turn to a Christian brother or sister to help you. You can be honest with the person seeking answers and be like, I don't know the answer to your question, but if you really want to have a conversation about this, let's talk to my friend together. So first of all, evangelism is not an individual activity. It's not all on you. You have a community with you in this. Secondly, no one starts off knowing all the answers. So don't get frustrated or disappointed if you can't answer certain questions. How do I know about Islam and Hinduism? It's because I talked to Hindu and Muslim college students, and they had a lot of really hard questions that I didn't know how to answer. I was asked questions I couldn't answer, and that's what got me studying. So don't be frustrated if you start off and you don't know how to answer certain questions. If you play an instrument, like the piano, who starts off playing the piano perfectly, right? First you learn the notes, then scales, then chords. And after years of effort and practice, you get to the place where you can just play without thinking about it. It's the same thing with any kind of activity, including evangelism. So if you're 12 or 22, don't get worried if you're asked questions you can't answer. Use it as an opportunity to study more and learn more. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. And as you continue to share the gospel with others, at first it will be awkward, but you will become more comfortable and you'll be better prepared to answer questions as you keep on doing it. So just start doing it. That's my second piece of advice here. And finally, it's everyone's responsibility as Christians to evangelize, but it's no one's responsibility to have all of the answers. All that is asked of you is that you witness what Jesus has done for you. In Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, Luke records Jesus' last words to the church before he ascends up into heaven. And, and this is what... Uh, Jesus says before he ascends back up into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness, 
right? The definition of a witness is someone who has firsthand personal knowledge of an event, right? If there's a car accident uh, and you did not personally see it, is the judge going to ask you to be a witness? No, you have no firsthand personal experience of it. It would be pointless for you to talk about it. You're only going to be called up if you were at the scene of the crime, if you saw who hit who, if you have firsthand personal knowledge of what happened. You might be asking for the apostles. Yeah, they had that firsthand personal experience. They saw Jesus. They touched Jesus. They spoke with Jesus. Of course, they're witnesses. But how can we be witnesses? And here's where we come to the question of personal experience. The good news we share is about public truth, an account of history that's true for everyone. But it's also about personal experience. We can't separate the two. Um, Each one of you who were baptized in the church, no matter what age you were baptized at, there was a sign and seal placed on you. God pledged himself to you to be present and active in your life. For some of you, you may have been feeling that presence even when you were a small child, uh, in the love and teaching of your parents or your Sunday school teachers or your community. For others of you, maybe you felt that presence when you were younger in fits and starts. But as you got older, you started to question whether you really knew him, whether he was really there, whether he's real at all. But for all of you, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you recognize it or not, the Holy Spirit has been acting on you preserving you, calling you, convicting you, and bringing you back to Christ. And that's the meaning of the verse for our retreat, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. No matter what stage in your walk with God you are in, whether you're in a questioning phase or whether you're in a firm sense and belief and feeling that God is with you, no matter what stage you're in, That is all you're responsible for, to pay attention to God's presence and activity in your life and to testify to it, to give an answer to others when you're questioned that the reason for your hope is Jesus and his gospel and how Jesus has acted in your life. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus promises us that just that simple act of sharing your story of how Jesus has been acting in your life, it may not answer every question. It may earn more hostility. You may have to turn to other people in your community to help you answer some of the more difficult questions. But just that simple act of sharing your personal story is enough. It's enough. That's all it means to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So I know that was a lot. We have a lot more to get into tomorrow. Let me sum up real quick. What is evangelism? Evangelism is the sharing of good news. Not an opinion, not an advice, news. An account of something that we believe actually happened. And what was that something? It's this. There is a God who is total love. And he created the world in love. But the world rejected him and fell in slavery to sin. And so to rescue this world, God took on human flesh in Jesus Christ to live and die as a sacrifice on the cross. And he rose again in triumph over sin. And now Jesus rules as Lord in heaven and on earth. He gives his own spirit to all those who are loyal to him. And one day he will come back to totally unite heaven and earth in a new creation. Because Jesus is Lord, now we know that we have peace with God, peace with one another, peace with creation, and peace with ourselves. We no longer have to hate one another. 
We no longer have to hate ourselves. We no longer have to fear death. This is the gospel that we witness to everyone around us. And the question I'd like you all to consider is, do you actually believe it? Let's pray. Oh God, grant that we may desire you, and desiring you seek you, and seeking you find you, and finding you be satisfied in you forever. Amen.